0: Barack Obama is a dramatic failure. His economy has been a slow-motion train wreck. His domestic policy has driven racial antagonism to new heights and divided Americans from each other along lines of religion and sexual orientation. On foreign policy, he set the world on fire in the name of a pretty, meaningless verbiage and a less hegemonic America, less powerful America. But there's good news. At least he controls the information flow. This week, Attorney General Loretta Lynch told Americans to believe her rather than their own lying, stupid eyes. First... She openly admitted the FBI would censor the 911 phone call of the jihadi Omar Mateen, who murdered 49 Americans at a gay nightclub in Orlando. The FBI, she said, would remove explicit references to ISIS, ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and Islam. The resulting transcript is pretty hilarious. Here is a taste, quote, In the name of God the merciful, the beneficial, in Arabic, praise be to God and prayers as well as peace be upon the prophet of, in Arabic, I let you know, I'm in Orlando, and I did the shootings. My name is, I pledge of allegiance to, omitted. I pledge allegiance to, omitted. May God protect him, in Arabic, on behalf of, omitted. This memory-holing would make George Orwell weep. In this iteration, Allah becomes God. See, Islam is just like Judaism and Christianity gang. But we can't mention terrorist groups and their leaders. In fact, more than a week after the attack, Lynch is still telling the press she doesn't know the jihadi's motivation, even though it says what he was doing right there in the transcript. This is called crazy towns. But this is not unusual for the Obama administration. We know that in the run-up to the Iran deal, the Obama administration simply altered reality to fit its narrative. It had fiction writer and deputy national security advisor Ben Rhodes cook up an account where negotiations with the terrorist state began only after the accession of moderate President Hassan Rouhani. Never mind, Obama and company had been negotiating with the mullahs behind the scenes for years before that. The narrative had to be falsified and upheld. When the State Department was forced to admit about those lies in a press conference, the White House chopped out that section of the taped conference for public release. We also know the Obama administration lied openly about Obamacare. If you knew from the beginning that you couldn't keep your plan or your doctor, you were right. But the Obama administration hid that. We know the Obama State Department sliced out a section of transcript mentioning radical Islam when French President Francois Hollande visited the United States. The person who controls the information flow controls reality. And the Obama administration is already rewriting reality for the historians decades from now. We won't find out where they hid most of the bodies until too late. Just as we won't find out what Hillary Clinton hid in her private server until it's way too late. This is why a government must not be trusted with massive power, gang. Politicians have every incentive, not just to lie in the present, but to lie with an eye toward the future. The more power they have over us, the more power they have over the reality we see, and the more they think they can get away with manipulating that reality, I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. Tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So, okay, for some reason I'm not hearing things, but we'll we'll see if that if that holds true in a second. Okay, so the, the first of all, you need to subscribe at DailyWire.com so you can see the look of confusion on my face when I can't actually hear what I'm supposed to be hearing. But you'll also be able to see magical new tricks of the trade that we'll be using in the midst of the show. You'll also be able to. Email us and let us know uh, what you want me to talk about in the mailbag section. So that's very exciting as well. Go to dailywire.com for all of that. Okay, so the left is on full-scale attack on gun control today. Today, the Democrats decided that they were going. They'd come up with a brilliant new plan, a brilliant new plan to fight on behalf of gun control. We talked about how Senate Democrats yesterday rejected. Uh, there are four different proposals brought to the floor of the Senate. Two were terrible. Two weren't so terrible. The Senate Democrats rejected the two that weren't so terrible. The Republicans rejected the two that were terrible. All four were rejected. Now, today, Democrats in the House, they're really super mad. They're so angry. They're so angry that they're doing this, right? This is 28. This is Democrats acting like toddlers. They're here on the floor of the House. And what do you see? A bunch of people sitting on the floor of the House, sitting there. This is their, their sit-in, sponsored by Preparation H. And they're they're sitting there all day, apparently. They're going to sit until they get a vote on the no-fly list. They want the no-fly list to become the no-gun-buy list. What's hilarious is one of the leaders on this thing was on the no-fly list. So apparently he thinks he shouldn't be able to buy a gun because he was on the no-fly list. But they're sitting there. They've been sitting there all day. They, they're hashtagging no more silence. I, I do love some of the things that they're tweeting. It's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. First of all, let me just tell you, Democrats, this is not a threat. Okay, You can't strike against something I don't want you to be doing anyway. This is like you declaring that you want me to do something, so you're going to strike against kidnapping my child. Like, I didn't want you to kidnap my child, so I would hope that you continue to strike against kidnapping my child. Please continue to strike against voting in the House. I don't want you voting in the House. You're terrible. I hope that you sit on that floor forever. I hope that you just sit there until you decay. I hope that you sit there until you until you get bed sores and abscesses. I hope that you sit there for all eternity, and you never go anywhere, and you never vote on things, and you just leave me alone. That's my great hope. This is the greatest sit-in of all time. I'm totally for the sit-in if 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 you can do this every day, this would be great. Representative John Lewis says we don't have any intention of leaving anytime soon, which means it's going to get kind of stinky in there pretty quickly. I've already suggested that Republicans counter the sit-in with a Saul Alinsky-style fart in. They go up to the house the 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 balcony of the House chamber and they just start ripping them, start letting them loose and and let the Democrats just stew in that for the next few hours and that will basically be a great summary of what Congress is anyway. A bunch of fat old people sitting around farting on each other. That'll be, that'll be basically what Congress does in any case. So that'll make, me, that'll make me a happy camper. That's very exciting. My favorite quote comes from Jerry, Nad- Jerry Nadler, who is legitimately one of the more ridiculous figures in Congress. We don't have a picture of him, unfortunately, because he looks like a uh, uh, George Lucas creation from Star Wars Episode Four, but like, not even like a computer-generated George Lucas, like one of the actual animatronic ones. And, and Jerry Nadler... He he just said, "quote This house is drenched in blood, and we must cleanse it," which sounds like they're actually going to do like a human sacrifice on the floor of the house. Which, come to think of it, I mean, I have a few people I could volunteer for that. If we're going to do that, we may as well just really go for it. Um, I mean, that's assuming that some of them are still alive, like Nancy Pelosi. But it's it, the whole thing is is just hilarious. Uh, my my favorite tweet thread here is the uh, is Charles Cook from National Review. He's been tweeting out. This, uh, this fake conversation <laughs> about, about their threat. And basically the conversation goes like this. If you won't attack the Fifth Amendment, we'll sit down on the floor. Okay? But we're sitting on the floor. Okay? I'm not sure you understand this. We will actually sit on the floor. We'll be sitting. It'll be on the floor. Okay? In other words, you choose. Undermine the Fifth or we sit on the floor. Sit on the floor then. We'll do it. We'll sit down. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) And that's exactly what this is. I love it so much. They're just sitting there and they expect me to care. It's like, oh my God, you're right. Let's burn the Constitution or you're going to sit there. Oh no. Now again, let's, let's reiterate. What the Democrats want from all of this is they want to be able to revoke the due process rights in the Fifth Amendment. They want to make it so that if the FBI puts you on a list, you can't buy a gun and you really have no way of getting off the list. You don't even know you're on the list until you go to try and buy a gun or you try and fly on a plane. And then they say, well, maybe we'll let you off if you show us that you're innocent, which is not exactly how democratic countries work, but it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. I, I love it a lot. So I hope that they continue. to. Sit. I hope that by this time tomorrow, they're still sitting there. I hope that they continue to sit there forever. I'm happy to, to ship in IVs. I'm happy to ship in candy. My daughter has a has a small toilet that we can ship in for them. She has a little potty. I'm, I'm really, I, I'm excited. I could not be more excited about this whole thing. Honestly, I think that it's just fantastic. Okay, so meanwhile, that's all going on. Well, that's ongoing going on. The propaganda mill continues to churn over at the Obama administration. Hey, Loretta Lynch, who, as Andrew Clavin calls her, he, she's, she's the most sinister figure in the Obama administration because she sits there and talks with preternatural calm about the stupidest, most insane, insipid crap that you've ever heard in your life. So yesterday, Loretta Lynch did a press conference, and she said many a stupid thing. Many a stupid thing. Let's start with stupid thing number one. This is where she says that the best, she gives a, the best response to Orlando jihadists shooting up gay people at a nightclub. Here's the best response she says.
1: We stand with you to say that the good in this world far outweighs the evil. That our common humanity transcends our differences and that our most effective response to terror and to hatred is compassion, to unity, and it's love. We stand with you today as we grieve together, and long after the cameras are gone, we will continue to stand with you as we grow together in commitment, in solidarity, and in equality.
0: Passion, unity, and love are the best response. I could make an obscene hand gesture right now, but I'm barred by my company from doing so. So, passion, unity, and love. Somewhere ISIS is going, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna fund a community center now. I can't believe it. She really, passion, unity, and love. Okay, so that's exciting. Meanwhile, Loretta Lynch continued by saying, we we don't know this guy's motives. Okay, so we don't know his motives, she says, except for when he called 911 and spent three hours on the phone telling them his motive. Except for that. It's like the O.J. Simpson trial. Oh, what could O.J.'s motive have been? I don't know. What was his motive? He probably wasn't O.J. It was probably Mark Furman. You know, why would he kill his ex-wife? He'd threatened to kill many times before. This is crazy. Okay, the, the guy came out and he said, I'm doing this for ISIS. But why would he do this thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is great. Okay, so here's Loretta Lynch sticking her head like an ostrich into the sand. And it's actually coming out in Australia by now. So here is here is Loretta Lynch. We may never know the man's motive. It's all a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Wrapped in another mystery. I don't, it's just, it's, it's a conundrum. Here we go.
2: She said, in particular, they're looking into why Mateen targeted this place and this community. They have repeatedly said this is not only terrorism, it's also a hate crime. But it seems that she and the administration are trying to shift the conversation more to hate and not just terrorism. And is there a reason, Paula, as to why there's such an emphasis more on the hate than the terrorism? It's interesting because yesterday we saw with the redactions, there was such an outcry when they tried to take out his name and the terrorist organizations, plural, uh, that inspired him. And there was such pushback saying, do you not want to admit that this was a, a terrorist act? So it's interesting that once again, she's trying to make this pivot. I will say that in her career, the attorney general has tried very hard for the LGBT community to protect their rights and the rights of other minority groups here. Her I think off. she this wants is, to make sure. This
0: is how the reporters work, right? So she's a really crappy attorney general. She's the most morally bankrupt attorney general since, like, Eric Holder, who was the last guy. But she said, I love the reporter saying, so she's really bad at her job, but she's super pro-gay. Well, that fixes everything. My favorite part of this is that Loretta Lynch yesterday announced that the wife of this jihadist was texting with him during the attack and apparently helped scout out the site. Here's Loretta Lynch explaining what happened to his wife. And really, for this to work, you have to be imagining the Benny Hill music in the background. You know, so you have to sort of an, an imagine that music playing underneath Loretta Lynch here.
2: Um,
1: right now I do not know exactly um the answer to that. I believe she was gonna travel, but I do not know exactly her location now.
0: <laughs> She's gone. We don't know where she could be. Hmm. Yes, she sort of has escaped to the FBI, right? She's a mastermind criminal. I don't know where she is. She she I like I like how she says that. She was going traveling. She was going traveling. Right. She's, she's vacationing, and she's like, she's like Andrew Claven and she summers in New Hampshire. Like, well, what are we talking about here? So it, it, the, the, this whole thing just continues to be increasingly ridiculous. And the, and the purposeful blindness of all of it is truly amazing. John Kerry is the Secretary of State. John Kerry, he comes out, and right after this happens, right after this happens, and remember, this guy's father, the Orlando shooter's father, was an Afghan refugee, right? And we let him in. And then he came in, and he brought up this crappy son. We now have a case in Idaho that's being looked into where it appears that some Muslim refugees may have raped a five-year-old disabled, mentally disabled girl. And John Kerry is telling us, all, "No, oh, don't worry about these, these refugees. They don't pose any risk. Come on. There is absolutely
3: no evidence, my friends, zero
0: evidence, that
3: refugees who make it through this arduous process pose any greater threat to our society than the members of any other group and it is important for people to know that
0: there's no evidence i can't show you evidence my face is in a full state of structural collapse but there is no evidence. And let me be very clear preventing any group from
3: entering the united states solely because of their race or because of their nationality or because of a religious affiliation is directly contrary to the very ideals on which our country is based. Okay, so,
0: so John Kerry we talking these believe... same things. Okay, we don't need to hear more of him. His nose is the only thing that seems consistent from his face two years ago. It's like they took each part of his face and replaced it with another face. I don't know <laughs> what, what, what's sort of left here. It looks like it looks like silly putty, and and the silly putty was left out in the in the rain or something. It's just it's 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 bizarre world. But aside from making fun of John Kerry's sagging facial structure, which looks like a mudslide in the San Fernando Hills. <laughs> Aside from that, John Kerry saying that refugees don't pose a risk. Yeah, ask France how that's going for them. Ask, ask the, the Germans how that's going for them. And, and it just continues like this. Josh Earnest from the from the White House, he came out yesterday. He says... Radical Islamic extremism is just a talking point. Well, I don't know why everybody's ex- upset about this whole radical Islamic extremist thing. I mean, come on. It's, it's a talking point. Not like when we say that gun control needs to be pursued in the aftermath of a jihadist killing law. That's not a talking point. That's reality. Not like when we have a bunch of people sitting around on the floor of the house pooping on themselves for no reason. No, this is a real talking point when people say radical Islamic extremism.
1: No, Chris, it's outrageous, actually. The truth of the matter is the individuals who spend most of their time talking about radical Islamic terrorism are individuals like Republicans in the Senate who voted against legislation that would prevent those individuals from being able to buy a gun. And those are individuals who have not actually put forward their own strategy for keeping the country safe. Using the term radical Islamic extremism is not a counterterrorism strategy. It is a political talking point, plain and simple. And what the President of the United States has done has put forward a comprehensive strategy to squeeze Islamic uh, the Islamic State uh, in Iraq and in Syria to inhibit their ability to recruit and radicalize people around the globe. He has uh, a- aggressively supported proposals that would make it harder for individuals who are suspected of having ties to that extremist organization from being able to walk into a gun store and buy a gun. So, so the president so is actually demonstrating
0: to- Obama has aggressively pursued people who have ties to terrorist organizations from getting guns. Why isn't his FBI aggressively pursuing deporting those people? Hmm? Because they're not. Because here's the inconvenient problem. Here is a friend of the Orlando terrorist from many years ago saying, uh, I told the FBI this guy was a creeper. I told him. Shortly after that, Malik says he heard Mateen talking about Awalaki's videos. It concerned him so
1: much, he called the FBI. He told me they were very powerful. And that for you was
3: troubling? That raised the red flag even, even higher for me.
1: The FBI did investigate Mateen for the second time in two years and cleared him of any suspicion.
0: Malik says the FBI okay. never asked Good job FBI. again, but Good did job. contact him. Slow clap for the FBI, yeah. So the, so the, so the, their new narrative is that we have to, have to take away my guns, take away your guns, take away everybody's guns. Because they'll, they'll, let's be real about this. As soon as the federal government has the power to ban you from buying guns based on your presence on a terror watch list, they're just going to put you on a terror watch list. And the, As soon as Democrats are in power, they're just going to say anybody who opposes the administration anybody who opposes certain policies anybody who has ties to any organization they don't like up to and including just normal political organizations they're just going to ban you from buying guns that's that's where this is going okay so meanwhile as the democrats continue to implode over gun control in orlando hillary clinton is going on attack against Barack, against uh, donald trump so hillary and trump are now going at each other directly and and this is what's what's kind of fun about this is that they're legitimately two of the worst people in america and when they attack each other, they only say true things about each other. They only say false things about themselves, but they only say true things about each other. And so watching them attack each other is kind of amusing. Now, I think that Hillary is, would make a worse president than Trump, as I've articulated before, because I think all of her principles are wrong. I think two-thirds of Trump's principles are wrong. The the reason I'm not voting for Trump is because I think that there are a lot of people, as we'll get to in just a little while here, who are willing to sell out principle and not just sell out principle, undermine principle in order to back Trump, who's going to get shellacked anyway. But here is Hillary Clinton attacking Trump over the economy yesterday.
1: Just look at what he did in Atlantic City. He put his name on buildings, his favorite thing to do. He convinced other people that his properties were a great investment, so they would go in with him but he arranged it so he got paid no matter how his companies performed. So when his casino and hotel went bankrupt because of how badly he mismanaged them, he still walked away with millions while everybody else paid the price. Well, today his properties are sold, shuttered, or falling apart. And so are a lot of people's lives. We cannot put a person like this with all his empty promises in a position of power over our lives. We can't let him bankrupt America like we are one of his failed casinos.
0: Okay, so we can stop it right there. Yes, that's true. His, his, he has gone bankrupt. he has companies have gone bankrupt many times. He says he likes to play off of debt. He clearly does like to play off of debt. Hillary goes after Trump. She says he didn't even pay his own employees properly.
1: And small businesses that did work for Trump and never got paid. Painters, waiters, plumbers, people who needed the money and didn't get it. Not because he couldn't pay them, but because he could stiff them. Sometimes he offered them 30 cents on the dollar for projects they had already completed. Hundreds of liens have been filed against him by contractors going back decades and they all tell
0: again fact check true all of this is true Donald Trump is a sleaze okay all of this is true and then Hillary says that Donald Trump's policies would lead to an economic recession again kind of true one of John McCain's former economic
1: advisors actually calculated what would happen to our country if Trump gets his way he described the results of a Trump recession. We would lose 3.5 million jobs, incomes would stagnate, debt would explode, and stock prices would plummet.
0: And she's talking specifically about his trade policy and his trade policy is in fact disastrous. It's very stupid as I've talked about before. You don't make an economy richer by shutting it off to all the other economies. Then we can't trade with them. They won't buy our products. We can't buy cheaper products from them. We don't get cool stuff. We just generate whatever. Like, Think of it this way. If you could only trade with the people inside your own house, namely like you and your immediate family, would you be poorer or richer? And if you can trade with everybody around you, if you can go to the grocery store and the gas station, the answer is you'd be a lot poorer. Okay, the same thing holds true for the American economy as a whole. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Hillary Clinton can make a fine anti-Trump case. She can't make a pro-Hillary case because there is no pro-Hillary case. So here is Hillary Clinton's economic advisor being asked again. This is like the fourth time this has happened where somebody's asked Hillary's people, what's the difference between a socialist and a Democrat? And they have no idea how to answer the question.
2: What's the difference between a Democrat and a socialist?
0: Look, I'm not here to do
3: general definitions, but I believe that the kind of progressive uh, 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 Democrat that she is is one that understands that we are, of course, a market economy, that we, of course, rely on, on job creation, small business, entrepreneurship here, but believes that we as a country have a responsibility in the face of strong economic change to make sure that we are shaping that change so that it is not hollowing out the middle class or being indifferent to the middle class, as I think we've seen from too many Republican administrations and the Republican leadership, and one that is actively seeking to shape economic change so that it strengthens the middle class, that the focus is on our middle class families seeing their wages, their hopes, their aspirations. There's no good answer They're here. It's,
0: it's, it's, it's babbly babble And because there's no good answer here. Okay, so Hillary is a crap. So now we turn to Trump and Trump has his opportunity. The Democrats are doing sit-ins on the House floor. The Democrats are are proclaiming that Islam has nothing to do with the radical jihadist murdering 49 people in Orlando, Florida. Hillary Clinton has no capacity to defend herself. So, as always, now it's time for some good Trump, bad Trump. Yay! Good Trump, bad Trump. So, should we start with bad Trump or should we start with good? We'll start with good Trump today. So, there's an awful lot of good Trump today. Aren't you excited about it? And in in and just out of the, the significance of this moment, it's time for some good Trump. <laughs> Oh, yes. It's time for some good Trump. So, okay. Donald Trump made a speech today. Donald Trump made a speech today from a teleprompter. So normally this is sort of how this works, right? Donald Trump speaks from the teleprompter and it's good. Yay. Good Trump. He's speaking from the teleprompter. America's a wonderful place. Then the teleprompter shuts off or he turns his face away from the teleprompter and we get bad Trump. Right? <laughs> and then we get, oh, well, that's when the Mexican judge came after me. So Donald Trump was actually more on teleprompter today. He was in... And this is the thing. Teleprompter Trump is much better than unscripted Donald. Much better than unscripted Donald. So he gave a speech today in which he went after Hillary Clinton. It wasn't a perfect speech. He still had moments that were stupid. He still made his inane points about trade, which are just, again, economically illiterate. He still said his silly things about how he's the only one who can save America. But he got in some pretty good jabs at Hillary Clinton. And this does a couple of things for him. This does a couple of things for him. One... It justifies the the argument that a lot of folks were making about Trump in the primaries that he was the only one capable of really hitting Hillary cleanly. That he was the only one capable of really punching Hillary hard. This speech punched Hillary hard. There's no question. It really hit Hillary hard. It didn't hit her cleanly because Trump is dirty. So because he's dirty, he's open up himself. So Hillary's hitting him. They're they're hitting each other. Remember in uh, I'm trying. I think it's in in Rocky two. In Rocky two, at the very end, they have the fight, and and at the very end of the fight. Rocky and Apollo both hit each other at the same time and they both go down and then Rocky gets up, right? Because he's Rocky. By the way, those movies, the idea that Sylvester Stallone would ever beat Carl Weathers in a fight is a joke. Carl Weathers would destroy Sylvester Stallone in a fight. But aside from that, they hit each other and they both go down and Sylvester Stallone gets up. Trump and, and Hillary are like that. He's giving, he's getting a lot of good shots in at Hillary, but he's not really clean on any of these shots and I'll explain why, but he is justifying the, the, contention made by Trump people that Trump was capable, maybe the only one in the field capable of really hitting Hillary hard. If Trump starts to be effective at this, if he stays on message, if let's say he spends the next six months just hitting Hillary, the next five months just hitting Hillary, it's going to put a lot of pressure on people like me to support Trump. The reason for that is because there will be less for me to point to and say, well, that's why, or guys, right? That's why I'm not going to, I'm not going to support him. We'll get to bad Trump in a minute and you'll see why. Okay. So here is Donald Trump. Being good, Trump, it's time for some good Donald. And here he begins by calling Hillary a world-class liar to clip 14.
3: Hillary Clinton. And as you know, she, most people know, she's a world-class liar. Just look at her pathetic email server statements or her phony landing in Bosnia where she said she was under attack and the attack turned out to be young girls handing her flowers a total and ser- uh, look this was this was one of the buttes. a total and self-serving lie. Brian Williams' career was destroyed for saying less. Just remember that.
0: Okay. Yes. He continues along those lines he calls her a liar and and that's all right that's all good. It doesn't have I think the the kind of this particular section didn't have the resonance that you would hope that it had because if the best you can come up with is her lying about the tarmac in Bosnia in 1999 that's a little bit of weak tea. I mean, she lies much worse. And that's when he gets to that stuff, then this speech gets good. Then suddenly you start to see good Trump, right? You start to see the Trump who wails against people. You do have to ask, again, the reason this doesn't totally work is because Trump lies all the time. So when he co- accuses Hillary of lying all the time, it doesn't have the same impact as it would from somebody who tells the truth more often. And when he says that, that Hillary Clinton falsifies things in the past, it doesn't have quite the same weight as it would from somebody who didn't masquerade as his own publicity guy to talk about which women he was stupid. So it, it's, it, it makes it very awkward. But what Trump is saying about her is right. And this is the good Trump section, not the bad Trump section. So more good Trump. Trump says that Hillary is beholden to special interest groups.
3: The other candidate in this race has spent her entire life making money for special interests. And I will tell you, she's made plenty of money for them. And she's been taking plenty of money out for herself Hillary Clinton has perfected the politics of personal profit and even theft. She ran the State Department like her own personal hedge fund, doing favors for oppressive regimes and many others, and really many, many others, in exchange for cash, pure and simple, folks. Then when she left, she made $21.6 million, giving speeches to Wall Street banks and other special interests, And in less than two years, secret speeches that she does not want to reveal under any circumstances to the public. I wonder why. Together, she and Bill made $153 million giving speeches to lobbyists, CEOs, and foreign governments in the years since 2001.
0: This
2: is
3: true. They totally own her. Okay. So the, and that will never, ever change, okay. including if she ever became president. OK, they totally own her. God
0: yes, totally true. Totally true. So quick side note. It's weird when Donald Trump inhales like he's doing a line of cocaine between phrases. <laughs> but, but but when but what he's saying there is, of course, true. When he when he said when he says Hillary Clinton is totally owned. <sighs> In a way that no one else has ever been totally owned. This is true. She is owned. The problem, of course, is that Donald Trump has also bragged about owning politicians and, and engaging in, in the buying and selling of politicians. But he's not wrong here. He's not wrong here. These are all solid jabs at Hillary Clinton. And th- this, is, this was the best moment for Trump. This, I thought, was the best moment for Trump. This is clip 16. Donald Trump goes after Hillary Clinton's slogan. He's going precisely after Hillary's biggest weakness, which is people think Hillary is a narcissist who is self-serving. And the only reason she's running is for her personal self-aggrandizement. Right. And Trump hits her on that and he hits her solid.
3: She believes she's entitled to the office. Her campaign slogan is I'm with her. You know what my response is to that? I'm with you, the American people. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and folks the reason i'm laughing is because you can't see it but trump is, is sitting there doing his smug self-satisfied grin right he's doing the the it's exactly this grin, actually uh and uh and and trump is sitting there doing that and he suddenly just mouths at people but he i, I don't know he can't his his mouth doesn't expand beyond like this radius of his face so it's like just below his nose it's, <laughs> so in any case, that Trump says the thing, but but he's right. That's the best line of his speech, right? Where he says that, where he says that Hillary Clinton, her slogan is "I'm with her, I'm with you." Right? I'm with you. This would resonate better if if you were actually with us. But sure, I mean, this is this this is actually a great line. It's a, it's a legit grade A political line. It's a great line that Donald Trump just dropped on her and he ought to keep repeating it as often and as loudly as he possibly can. He continues along these lines. He says that Hillary is getting rich off your back. Again, good stuff. Hillary Clinton
3: gave China millions of jobs and our best jobs and effectively let China completely rebuild itself. In return, Hillary Clinton got rich. The book Clinton Cash by Peter Schweitzer Documents how Bill and Hillary used the State Department to enrich their family and America's and at America's expense. She gets rich, making you poor.
0: She gets rich, making you poor is a great line. Okay, then he's wrong about Chinese policy because, again, he doesn't understand trade. But he does understand, but he does hit it right on the head. He's a hammer in search of a nail. I said, this, he's a hammer in search of a nail. Hillary is a nail, and so he just keeps hammering her. And if he keeps hammering her, it's going to put a lot of pressure on people to support him, even though he's not a very good guy, and he's not a good candidate, and he doesn't believe any of the right things. People are going to say, yeah, but he's a hammer, and he's hitting the nail. So how can you oppose the hammer for hitting the nail? I don't oppose the hammer for hitting the nail. I oppose, I oppose the hammer because he sometimes hits Mexican judges, and sometimes he hits disabled people, and sometimes he hits puppies. But... When he's hitting a nail, you have to celebrate the hitting of the nail because it is very satisfying. And he's hitting the nail flush right here most of the time. His his attack on Hillary Clinton's foreign policy is is similarly good. Here's Trump going after Hillary Clinton's foreign policy.
3: Perhaps the most terrifying thing about Hillary Clinton's foreign policy is that she refuses to acknowledge the threat posed by radical Islam. In fact, Hillary Clinton supports a radical increase in Syrian refugees coming into the United States, and that's an increase over President Obama's already high number. Under her plan, we would admit hundreds of thousands of refugees from the most dangerous countries on Earth with no way to screen who they are, what they are, what they believe, where they come from. Already, hundreds of recent immigrants and their children have been convicted of terrorist activity inside the United States. The father of the Orlando shooter was a Taliban supporter from Afghanistan, one of the most repressive anti-gay and anti-woman regimes on Earth. I only want to admit people who share our values and love our people.
0: Okay, right, exactly. Correct. Correct. And when he, went to, he goes after Hillary on Ambassador Stevens, too, which is great. In the middle of the speech, he talked about Ambassador Stevens, and he said Hillary slept right through it. Right, he hit her with the kitchen sink. He hit her with the kitchen sink. This is good Trump. Good Trump hits Hillary Clinton with the kitchen sink. And that's great. That's great. Okay. Now it's time. That's been a lot of good Trump. And and that's the news cycle today, because the bad Trump actually took place before the good Trump. Because the way that this works is if you say something stupid but and you say something smart afterward, we pay attention to the, the latest thing that you said. This was good Trump. This is Trump at his best. It was his second best speech of the campaign. His best speech of the campaign was about radical Islam last week. If all Trump were, or just a guy who said things on teleprompter, he would actually be a lot more palatable as a candidate. He's not. So here is, so now we, we've done good Trump. Now the time has come. The time has come for bad Trump. So bad Trump has arrived. He kind of creeps in on you. So bad Trump <laughs> arrives. And, uh, and bad Trump is a guy who doesn't really understand much about policy, but says he does. Uh, he, he says silly things about the economy. Here is bad Trump talking about how he's going to beat Hillary Clinton.
3: It will be off limits for you in going after her. Well, I know why she says that, and I think that's fine. I think that's smart for her to say that. Um, I hit Bill a couple of times because once he's in the campaign, you know, if he's in the campaign, I guess he deserves to be hit. But I would much rather have it based on issues and policy I think we win on issues and policy.
0: He'd much rather have it based on issues and policy. See, this is kind of not good Trump. This is this is kind of silly Trump. But the, even this is kind of mediocre Trump, right? This is somewhere between good Trump and bad Trump. This is like resting, resting, angry face Trump. Actual bad Trump is here. So so he's on CBS with Nora O'Donnell, and he's asked about his economic policy. And he's asked specifically about what he would do about America's national debt. And what he says here is just utterly asinine, because again, when he's on attack against Hillary, he doesn't have to talk about himself. He doesn't have to talk about himself. You know, he can, he can attack Hillary as much as he wants and he's on safe ground. The minute he starts talking policy, the man is like a, a, a drowning sailor. Here we go.
3: I'm the king of debt. I'm great with debt. Nobody knows debt better than me. I've made a fortune by using debt. And if things don't work out, I renegotiate the debt. I mean, that's a smart thing, not a stupid thing. And I made a free. How do you
2: renegotiate
3: the debt? Because you go back and you say, hey, guess what? The economy just crashed. I'm going to give you back half. I like debt for me. I don't like debt for the country. I like debt for my company. But I don't like debt for the country. So I wouldn't renegotiate the debt. I, I'd negotiate if I do a deal in a corporation, as an example. And if the economy goes bad, I'll oftentimes renegotiate that debt. But that's a different thing. That's just a corporate thing. And other people like me, very big people in the world of business, they do that. No, I wouldn't do that, but I think it could be a good time to borrow and pay off debt, borrow debt, make longer-term debt.
0: Okay, so, so he, says, he says a few things here that are, that are ridiculous. So, first of all, he says that he would re- renegotiate the debt. I mean, that's what he says at the top. He says, we'd go to people and say, our economy's bad. We're going to pay back half of what we owe. This is called defaulting on your debt, gang. And when the U.S. economy defaults on its debt, the problem is we can no longer borrow. If we can no longer borrow, we can't pay off any of the debt that we have to, for example, the people on Social Security or the people on Medicare. We can't pay back any of the people we've previously borrowed from. 6% of our national budget, 6% of it, is just debt service. It's just the amount that we owe to people, the interest on the debt. That's not even the debt itself. It's just the interest on the debt. We do that. The value of the dollar ends up dropping because we're going to have to print dollars to pay this off. It's It's bad news all the way around. Everybody knows that, except for Trump. So Trump backtracks it. Then he said, oh, I wouldn't renegotiate the debt, but I would kind of renegotiate the debt, right? Like, I wouldn't renegotiate the debt, but when I was in business, I renegotiated debts, and it worked out great for me. And But I wouldn't do it for the country, but I kind of would, but not so much because it's just because I don't really know, but I'm just telling you I don't know what – what. right, bad Trump. Okay, so <laughs> having too much fun with the good Trump, bad Trump. Thank you to Lindsay for the production of this new this new – very sophisticated production element that we have added to to the Ben Shapiro show. Okay, so all of that being said, uh, more more bad Trump. Here is the the spokeswoman for Donald Trump. She talked about the, the Donald Trump campaign. Donald Trump's spokeswoman, Katrina Pearson, who's just amazing, amazing. Uh, Katrina Pearson, who has what would be, for an honest person, one of the hardest jobs in, in life. Uh, Katrina Pearson is on CNN, and she's asked about the fact that the Trump campaign— which only has $1.3 million cash on hand, spent $200,000 in the month of May on hats, on hats, like to cover that crazy hair. So here's Katrina Pearson explaining herself.
1: Well, I think moving forward, you're gonna see some of those numbers shift. Again, uh, we're just now transitioning into more of a fundraising mechanism uh, simply because Donald Trump does want to help the RNC in a joint effort, and and absolutely, you know, everyone loves the hats. I mean, everyone has their "Make America Great Again" hat, and those are big commodities for the campaign, and it's a way people for for them to show their
0: support. People love hats. People love hats. Okay, great. So we have no campaign employees and no infrastructure. And we raise no money, but people love their hats. They love the hats. By the way, I don't understand why. I mean, there's there's something about the the, the entire Trump brand. That's just 1992 style mice, right? It's like word perfect style mice, like when you used to take clip art and make a card for your mom, right? It's, it's like that. So it's, it's it's. but in any case, that's not even really bad Trump. So here's, here's the reason why, again, and I, I keep having to reiterate this because I feel like people need the explanation. The reason I'm not supporting Trump, even though Trump, when he hits Hillary's right on the money, Is because I'm seeing so many people, so many people pervert the values of conservatism and decency to fit Donald Trump. You don't have to do that. You can say, I support Trump, but he's absolute garbage. He's only better than Hillary, right? You could do that. That's not what people are doing. That's not what people are doing. Here's Ben Carson. So yesterday, Donald Trump met with hundreds of evangelicals, hundreds of evangelicals, right, in an attempt to woo them. And I don't know what's going on with Joe Scarborough's hair in this particular clip. It looks like he was caught in a windstorm or he, was, or he was in a scene, an outtake from There's Something About Mary. But in any case, Ben Carson was on with Joe Scarborough and he was asked about evangelicals backing Donald Trump because there were a bunch who came out and said they would back Trump.
3: Yeah, I think uh, the evangelical community realizes that we're not choosing the preacher in chief. WE'RE LOOKING FOR A COMMANDER-IN-CHIEF, BUT WE WANT A COMMANDER-IN-CHIEF WHO UNDERSTANDS THE IMPORTANCE, FOR INSTANCE, OF THE FIRST AMENDMENT, AND and NOT PENALIZING PEOPLE FOR LIVING ACCORDING TO THEIR FAITH. THEY WANT A COMMANDER-IN-CHIEF WHO UNDERSTANDS THE SANCTITY OF LIFE, WHO UNDERSTANDS THE IMPORTANCE OF THE FAMILY, AND HOW THE FAMILY IS THE BASIC UNIT for a strong society. So those are the kinds of things that, that, that they're really looking for, not necessarily somebody who can quote verse and chapter
0: of the Bible. Okay, so that's actually not a terrible argument. That's actually not Ben Carson's worst argument. He's made many worse arguments than that. That's, that's not Ben Carson's worst argument, right? There's only one problem. That is that Ben Carson's statements here are not reflective of, of what other people are saying. So one of the most ironic photos ever is Jerry Falwell Jr. took a photo with Trump endorsing Trump and we should have pulled the photo it's my fault I didn't send it to Mathis Um, but the but the photo is a photo of Trump standing next to Falwell behind them behind them is a picture of Donald Trump on the cover of Playboy magazine with a with a porn star legitimately right like right behind his left shoulder and it's it's like okay well you know (laughs) you, you you can endorse Trump without endorsing Trump right you can say we'll back him to stop Hillary without going all in. But instead, you have a bunch of people going all in. So Jerry Falwell and Ralph Reed and Franklin Graham, they're all in on Trump. Now they said they've been convinced. Now they they've seen the light. They've been, they're on the road to Damascus and 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 this guy appeared in the sky to them and that face just graced across the sky like the sun. And then they and then they realized that they had to support Donald Trump because he was just such a wonderful fellow. Here's Greta Van Susteren uh, and the parts of her face that move talking to the other three.
2: Reverend Franklin Graham, Ralph Reed, and Jerry Falwell, Jr. all go on the record. And I should note, as of today, Ralph and Jerry are both on Trump's advisory board. So welcome, gentlemen. Welcome to all of you. Reverend, um, first to you, what happened today? Well, uh, we were asked, uh, I was asked to come to a meeting and to hear Donald Trump. And uh, I'm glad I did. Uh, as you know, I'm not supporting or endorsing anyone this year. I'm going to all 50 state capitals to hold prayer rallies on Capitol steps. And that's what I'm doing. And I promise people that I won't get involved and endorse anyone. But I was invited to hear him. And I'm glad I did because he I think he answered everyone's questions. There people that had... Uh, I think good concerns, when I say good, concerns, and they were honest concerns, and I think uh, Donald Trump addressed most of those today. Right. Jerry, you were there as well. Um, you, in fact, I think you're an early endorser of Donald Trump, if I'm cor- correct. Um, what did you think today? I was very impressed. He was very presidential and he's really showing a deeper understanding than I've ever seen before of issues that are important to conservatives and to Christians. He talked a lot about the Supreme Court nominees, he talked about how they're all going to be pro-life, he talked about support for the nation of Israel and he, he was strong on that issue. That's something that's very important to the group in that room. He also talked about um, so many other issues that are so important. To um, even he talked about religious freedom. That was the number one concern, religious liberty, because the government now is impinging on the religious freedoms of people of faith. And, and those were the those were the key issues. He was um, he went a lot longer than he promised the group he would go. I was very impressed, and I. You know, I was honored to introduce him, and I, I tried to point out to the crowd that we have such a simple choice this election. We, have, we can vote for somebody who's promised to support and defend the values that are important to conservatives and Christians and to appoint the right nominees to the Supreme okay. Court, or we can vote for so a the, the, this, has, this,
0: this wildly enthusiastic bunch, they, they've decided to, to back Donald Trump, but they're not just backing him. They're talking up his character. They're talking up his character, which is utterly unnecessary. Look, this is a sales pitch. He brought a bunch of evangelicals into a room. He told them what they wanted to hear. If you put him in a room with a bunch of anti-evangelicals, he would tell them what they want to hear. This is what Donald Trump does. He sold the people, and some of the people had already been sold. Tim Alberta from National Review, he, he wrote about this. He said, after all the hype, nothing was said or done to fundamentally alter the uneasy relationship between Trump and the Christian right. In interviews with a dozen attendees, the most common assessment of Trump's performance was a shrug. He checked poxes on policy issues, they said, and played to the crowd's greatest insecurity by repeatedly referencing the Supreme Court. Some activists reluctantly acknowledged they planned to personally vote for him, but many were present due to their leadership roles, and none of them are yet willing to extend Trump an endorsement. Tony Perkins on the Family Research Council, they say a lot of social conservatives want to be with Trump because they see the alternative. But he said that he hasn't taken the leap of endorsing Trump yet. And this is true for a lot of these people, but some people have. Some people have. And this is the quote I want to focus in on because it's pretty amazing. Franklin Graham, and I like a lot of what Franklin Graham has to say, and I respect him as a religious leader. Franklin Graham said about Donald Trump, he he gave a speech for Donald Trump in which he said that Donald Trump was like Moses because Moses disobeyed God and was punished. David, because David committed adultery and killed a man. Okay, Frank, Reverend Graham. Okay, a couple, couple of quick biblical notes on this particular exegesis. Okay, a couple of quick things. One, Moses repented. Also, David repented. As you recall, David had sex with Bathsheba and then sent her husband Uriah out to get killed after he got her pregnant. Remember this. And then what happened? The prophet Nathan came and yelled at him and told him that his kingship was basically over because of all of this, and David then repented. Moses hit the rock and then he repented before God, but God wasn't willing to forgive him because God didn't want him to lead in lead the nation into Israel. Neither of them said, "Oh, well, you know what? I did the right thing. I did the right thing." I was I was sarcastically tweeting out Moses Trump and David Trump how they would have how they would have played these situations, and David Trump was was like, yeah, I had sex with a married woman. Of course I had sex with a married woman. My sword is long and beautiful. And and Moses Trump was like, of course I hit the rock. In the olden days, they would have taken that rock out on a stretcher. And so it's, it, this kind of stuff is, is just, it's just silly. It's just silly. The, the idea that, that Donald Trump is reflective of any sort of real Christian thought, I thought the best quote was from one of the evangelical leaders who said something to the effect of, Donald Trump speaks Christian like somebody who just got the Rosetta Stone version and is learning. And I think that that's probably right. And this is what pervert, this is what I don't like about any of this, is, is the perversion of conservative principle in order to make room for Donald Trump. You don't have to pervert conservative principle. Just say you, you, Trump isn't particularly Christian. He doesn't believe in a lot of these things, but he's better than Hillary. You, you trust him to defend your values a little bit more. Don't pervert the standard. Don't pervert the principle. If you change the principle to fit the man, the principle no longer means anything. Okay. Time for some things that I like and then some things that I hate. Okay, things that I like. I'm mentioning here Game of Thrones. I'm not talking about Game of Thrones, the TV series. I don't watch Game of Thrones, the TV series. I watched the first three episodes and there was too much gratuitous nudity for me. I just was not into that. Or rather, I was into it, but it's not a good thing for your soul. So in any case, gratuitous nudity is not something that I'm I'm in favor of. The first books, the first book is great. The first book, the first Game of Thrones book is legitimately a great book. Book two is weaker. Book three is very good. The rest of them suck. So if you're going to read the Game of Thrones series, one and three are the good ones. You sort of have to read two because they're in between. After the Red Wedding, which everyone knows what that is now, after the Red Wedding, the series basically died for me. It's been meandering around nonsensically for a while. I think the same is true. I still read the summaries online because George R.R. Martin is never going to finish the series. He's going to die before finishing it. So the, the TV series is now ahead of the book series. How many seasons are they in? Four? I think they're in the fourth season now. Five? They're six seasons in, right? They started six years ago. So they're six seasons in on Game of Thrones, and George R.R. Martin has released one extra book, right? <laughs> and so they're now ahead of him. They started off with book one. He'd already completed, I think, book seven, book six or seven, and they're, they're now ahead of him, which just shows how slow he is. But I, I read the summary still, and it's not going anywhere, okay? We all know what's going to happen, right? Jon Snow has survived, and Daenerys is going to come back, and maybe they got together, and Whoop-de-doo. But the first but the first book is really a shocking book. It's really a change in the nature of fantasy fiction because, as everyone knows by now, the main character ends up dying at the end of the first book, which is a shocker, right? So, okay. So, the first book is good. Okay. Things that I hate, besides Mathis's new haircut. Uh, so, sorry, Mathis. It had to be said. Yeah. Lindsay loves his haircut, but Lindsay also has a tattoo that says brave. And as we all know, people with tattoos that say brave, particularly women, uh, are are not allowed to uh, are not well actually men to unless unless my, my rule about men who have tattoos that say brave is if you're gay or if you fought in Afghanistan those are basically not even Iraq Afghanistan if you have one of those two you're a man who can have a tattoo of brave if you're a woman you just put a tattoo of brave I'm on in because of your look. that's true Lindsay is in charge of my look but Lindsay you didn't cut Mathis's hair so you're not responsible for that <laughs> so in any case the, the, in any case Mathis Mathis um had really good looking James Dean hair. He's basically now shaved it all the way around the sides, so he looks like a half biker, half James Dean mashup. He looks like a match that's on fire. Um and uh and so yeah, sorry Mathis, but um yeah, I, I miss the old hair. I miss the old I miss the old hair. It's it's sad. It's a little sad. So okay, other things that I hate. Um, so Broadway stars decided to react to um to the Orlando shooting with their typical savoir faire and and genius. They decided that what they needed to do was sing a song. Sing a song. What song was it that they decided to sing on NBC? What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. Hosted by Martin Short and that woman who's supposed to be funny, but I don't remember her name. Maya Rudolph. Thank you, Maya Rudolph. Okay, so we can play it.
1: Following the tragedy in Orlando, Broadway performers came together to record a song in support of the victims and their families.
0: What the world needs
3: now is love was released yesterday on iTunes to benefit the GLBT Community Center of Central Florida.
1: So performing that song here tonight, please welcome Broadway for Orlando.
0: My God.
1: What the
3: world needs now.
0: Nobody knows who any of these people love, are. They're all on Broadway, so nobody sweet knows. Love. But there's just
2: too little... Factually untrue.
0: More dead ISIS terrorists. We need more of those. Love love, sweet love.
2: Oh, not just for some, but for everyone.
0: Okay, we don't have to listen to this whole thing. It's just a montage of Broadway people singing. Over and there's the guy from Will and Grace. Yeah, and there's a guy whose face I recognize from TV but can't name it. And there's Martin Sheen doing things. Not Martin Sheen, what is it? Martin Short. Okay, a bunch of obscure people singing. Okay, so somewhere ISIS has is gone like this. They they got a lighter and they're really enjoying themselves, and then they just go castrate a gay person and throw him off the building. So that's it. So it, it gets it gets awkward when. If Broadway were in charge of America, America would last precisely negative three seconds. And like it, it, the, the ISIS terrorists would find a way to go back in time and destroy America. That's, that's how, <laughs> it, what ad, absolute utter inanity you get from the left. It's truly amazing. So we've got sit-down strikes in Congress. We've got the Broadway stars singing their song. Amazing. Okay, fi- final thing that we'll, we'll talk about here. So Michelle Fields had her book come out yesterday and Steve Malsberg, who I'm friendly with. I'm, I've been on Steve's show. I, the only reason I'm playing this clip is not because I want to relitigate the Michelle Fields incident. God knows we've done this enough. I want to point out the unfairness of of something that Steve Mallsberg does here that I keep hearing, and this, this this Michelle Fields thing. I mean, come on, guys, like give it up. Lewandowski grabbed Romney Brewster. End of story. If you think that's a good thing, then celebrate Lewandowski. If you think that's a bad thing, then say that he's not a great guy for doing it and then slandering Michelle Fields. It's really been very complicated. but the, the the twists and turns, the pretzeling that, that people who defend Trump have to go through on this particular score is pretty is pretty egregious. Here's Steve Malzberg going after Michelle Fields.
2: He decided not to prosecute, which wasn't surprising. Wait, 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 wait. The, but, you, um, wait, wait.
0: the prosecutor conducted sorry. an investigation with a preconceived
3: condition that th- there would be no court case that the prosecutor would aim to get you an apology? That's what you're telling me?
2: Yeah, that's not news. I mean, this is something that... Um, I had spoken about before during the whole. The I, know whole I, spoke- I know you wanted an apology.
3: I know you wanted an apology. But why would the prosecutor? Why would a prosecutor spend taxpayers' money when you're saying? I mean, if, if a wife if a wife is beaten by her husband and she doesn't press charges, uh, I don't think that she could say, "Hey, go ahead with the investigation. I don't want you to. I don't want anything to happen to him. I don't want to go to court, but I want him to apologize." I don't think it works that way. So okay. You're so, tell, uh, so who is the prosecutor? There. So Steven
0: Molsberg is doing a routine. That, where he is suggesting that what happened is Michelle Fields went to the police and she filed a police report. The police, independently of Michelle Fields, decided to go ahead and recommend a charge. The reason Michelle Fields filed a police report is because people, like Steve Malsberg, were claiming that this thing never happened in the first place. The police, of course, found it had uncovered tape that showed that it had. She's allowed to do that. You're allowed to file a police report based on an incident that happened. It's then the police's decision and the prosecutor's decision to go forward. He's factually wrong, by the way. If a wife goes in and says, I want to press charges against my husband... And the, and, the, and the prosecutors say, okay, we're going to negotiate some sort of deal where you and your husband separate. This happens all the time. Informal deals like this actually are relatively common. They're relatively common. But this is the way that the narrative shifts. Because Trump was lying, because Lewandowski was lying, people decided that they had to shift the attack on Michelle Fields from Michelle Fields was lying and she made up her bruises and he was, she was never grabbed and it was all made up to, well, she never should have filed the police report. The only reason she filed the police report is because you people were calling her a liar. So I just want to point out the, the kind of shifty nature of how politics works, because it really is kind of yucky. It really is kind of yucky, whether you think the incident was overblown or not. The shifting defense routine here is really kind of ridiculous. Okay, so tomorrow we will be back with much, much more, including the Ben Shapiro Show mailbag. We will see if 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 good Trump or bad Trump show up once more. We'll see which one we get. Um, I think that most Republicans are now praying that Donald Trump just shuts his face for 24 hours and doesn't destroy a good cycle of headlines about him attacking Hillary. Um, but we'll find out. We'll find out because it's been now like an hour and a half, two hours since Trump gave the speech. And we may be reaching expiration date before he can generate another headline. <laughs> I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free... Should mean you know like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no 4 line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just thirty five bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, fifteen gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost thousand dollars a year. So.